Welcome, everybody, to another episode of One Question for Every Fight here on the Keyboard Kimura platform, channel, whatever you want to call it. I am E. Spencer Kite. Today, we are talking about UFC Vegas 74, UFC on ESPN 46, UFC Fight Night, Kai Kara Front versus Amir Albazi, taking place this weekend at the UFC Apex. Look, I'm not going to... I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I'm not going to make this into one of those things where I try to sell you on the merits of this card as being a really great card. It is not. It is what I have always referred to as a Spencer card. It is a card with a terrific main event, some interesting matchups, but mostly featuring either veteran competitors or emerging talents. It's one of those events that I understand going in a lot of people aren't necessarily going to be in on. And I'm here just to give you a little bit of information about every single fight. Maybe something piques your interest. Maybe a name catches your ear, catches your attention and gets you to tune in and just check out that fight, that individual, that person. Not here to try to sell you on this card being, being aces. As I wrote in the fight by fight preview for this event that is up on UFC.com right now and available in my timelines at Spencer Kite, as you see at the bottom of the of the feed, if you're watching on YouTube. This is the amuse-bouche of what is a 12-course meal from the UFC over the next 12 weeks. This is the first week of a three-month stretch where every Saturday features an event that includes UFC 289 out here in Vancouver next weekend. That includes International Fight Week and that caps off in Boston for UFC 292, which is tentatively Aljamain Sterling versus Sean O'Malley. We will get to all of those fights. We will be here on Wednesday ahead of every one of those events. But today we are here for Kai Kara France and Amir Albazi. And my question for this one is whether Albazi is ready for this step up in competition or not. I am absolutely fascinated by this fight. I cannot wait for this matchup on Saturday. I will be counting down throughout the day to get to this fight because it's the fight I've been looking forward to for Amir Albazi for the last couple of fights. From the get-go, from the jump, when he arrived in the UFC, he was asking for these kinds of matchups. He said, I want to be in there against the best. I want to test myself. I believe I'm capable. Give me these guys. And through no fault of his own, he has yet to have that kind of matchup. I spoke to him last week for a story that is now up on the website as well. Go check that out. And we talked about this exact thing, right? Of there are going to be people that say you go from fighting Alessandro Costa last time out to facing Kai Kara France, who fought for the interim title in his last appearance last July in Dallas. And it feels like a colossal step up. And he acknowledged that I get it. I understand people are going to ask those questions, but I've been trying to get these fights. He was booked with Tim Elliott earlier in his career. He was then booked against Alex Perez, who had to withdraw. He was replaced by Brandon Royville. Brandon Royville suffered a wrist injury. No fault of Albazi's. Those guys just haven't turned up. Any of the other ranked fighters that have been offered the opportunity to step in with him have declined thus far, as far as his telling, as far as his understanding. And so he's done his part of things. Go out, handle my business. Four straight in the UFC. Three finishes. The only guy he hasn't finished is Jalgaz Jumagulov, who is a very dangerous and kind of awkward veteran fighter. And now he gets the opportunity that he's wanted. 
to go in there against the number three in the division, Kai Kara France, as I said, coming off an interim title fight against now current undisputed champion, Brandon Moreno. And I'm really interested to see how Elbazi does here because Kai is a, is a very dangerous opponent for anybody, but in terms of stylistically, and this is another thing that Elbazi mentioned, he's the worst matchup for him, right? He's a, he's a powerful, quick striker with terrific takedown defense. If you're going to blueprint a guy that is a nightmare for the Prince, it's Kai. And so we're going to find out on Saturday. This is, you could see the excitement. If you're, again, if you're watching on YouTube and hopefully if you, if you're just listening, you can hear it in my voice. You can, you could register the excitement because these are the kinds of tests that I long to see. I want to see if this guy that is full of confidence, that's only lost once in his career to Jose Shorty Torres, who trains with great talents in Las Vegas at Extreme Couture at Dewey Cooper's gym is capable of going out there and hanging with a guy we all know is a bona fide contender in the flyweight division. I think this fight has title picture ramifications, especially if Albazi gets a victory, especially on top of that, if he does so in dominant and impressive fashion, collecting a stoppage, this is a, a really captivating fight to me and I can't wait for it to get here. Next up, veteran featherweights, Alex Caceres and Daniel Pineda. My question is, do you understand how crazy it is that Pineda has a a 100% finishing rate to this point of his career? This isn't, hey, he's 5-0 and has finished everybody and it's a bunch of scrubs. Daniel Pineda has 28 victories and 28 finishes. There are comebacks, there are first round finishes, submissions, knockouts, maulings. You name it, and it's against largely quality competition, right? He is, he has been everywhere. He is the definition of a journeyman in the true sense of the word, in the not using it as a disparaging comment because it's not, journeyman isn't an ugly word or a bad word or a thing that shouldn't be associated with fighters. He is a true journeyman in the sense that he's competed everywhere, Bellator, UFC, PFL, a bunch of other places, quality regional promotions, fought a ton of good people. And every time he has gotten his hand raised, it's without the judges. That is bonkers. Like if you go 12 and 12 for 12, that's one thing. 28 for 28 is ridiculous. And it makes me want to watch. It makes me want to see it because it, to me, it guarantees me that I'm getting one half of that fight is a dude that's hunting and pressing. And everyone talks about wanting entertaining fights and craving finishes and highlight reels and guys that aren't just laying and praying or afraid to engage. Well, here's your guy. Here is your champion. Here is your tribute. Daniel Pineda. He's not a contender. He's not going to be one. He's in his late thirties. This is just who he is, but he looked great last time out against Tucker Lutz. He gets Caceres here, which means it should be an entertaining, competitive, fun fight between two dudes with high finishing rates that are going to be looking to finish. And we need to, we need to celebrate those fights a little more. We need to celebrate guys like Pineda a little bit more. 28 for 28. 
Insane. Insane. Next up, more veterans in the lightweight division, Jim Miller and Jared Gordon. My question is, can Miller keep pushing towards UF3, UFC 300? Need to slow myself down a little bit. I'm fired up. So this has always been, for the last couple of years, the goal and the aim for Jim Miller is to get to UFC 300. He fought at UFC 100. He fought at UFC 200. 300, in theory, will be next year sometime. I would imagine, I would assume, they'll try to hold it out to be the International Fight Week event, though the timelines of that might get a little bit difficult. He turns 40 in August. He's 53 fights in. And he's coming off a loss to Alexander Hernandez last time out. I don't say any of that because I think Jim Miller is in decline. Clearly, he's still competitive. Alex Hernandez, much younger than he is and a very good fighter in his own regard. He had three straight wins before that. But I just want to see every time Jimmy is going to step in the cage, I want to see if that drive, if that fire, if that competitiveness is still there. Because he's at a point and an age and a number of of fights where you start to worry and, and the potential for it to go is pretty quick. It can go from being uncompetitive with Alexander Hernandez to I just don't have it anymore. And this is a this is an interesting fight. This fight, I think, will give us a good understanding of that because Jared Gordon tags in. For Ludovic Klein, he's looking to rebound from the no contest with Bobby Green where they had the clash of heads. So he's got a little something to prove. He's a little bit salty. Jared's always a little bit salty. And I say that with love. I love Jared a lot. But this is one of those fights where if something is starting to go, if Jim Miller is starting to recede more so than he has from the days of being a contender, we're going to see that. On Saturday, Jared Gordon is the kind of guy that can bring him out, bring that out of him and we'll get a little glimpse of it. I really want him to get to UFC 300. I think that would be a really cool milestone, would be a really cool piece to the career puzzle for Jim Miller, a guy who never won a title, never fought for the title, but holds a bunch of records in the UFC, is in my opinion, a first ballot Hall of Famer for the longevity, for the records he's accumulated. He is a pro's pro. If you ask the people in the back who their favorite fighters are, Jim Miller is on a lot of those people's lists. A bunch of years ago, I did a piece on Sporting News speaking with previous opponents of Jim Miller just to get a sense of similar to, listen, I was biting my guy Shaheen Alshadi's The Night We Faced series, 100%. So I talked to Joe Lozon. I talked to Danny Castillo. I talked to Dustin Poirier. And they all shared their thoughts about this guy and and to a man they said look jimmy's a pro you know what you're going to get when you get in there with him he is going to be a hundred percent of of who he's capable of being and he's going to give every bit of that to you on saturday night that will be the case this weekend against jared gordon and hopefully hopefully it gets to be the case at ufc 300 next year next up we shift back to the flyweight division, Tim Elliott versus Victor Altamirano. And my question is, where's Elliott's mind heading into this one? I'm not usually someone that brings outside of the cage stuff into my analysis, into my questions, 
into sort of the way I'm thinking about a particular matchup, but I absolutely have to here. Very recently, Tim Elliott shared uh, some stuff on Twitter about some family issues, some marital issues that he is, he is dealing with presently. And I have to, as a human being, wonder how he's balancing everything, how he's able to focus on this fight, given his current situation. Now, in some instances, and, and I've talked to enough fighters over the course of my career that have, that have gone through some things and said, look, it, it actually helped me to process and to sort of block that out that I had this fight. It didn't seep in and, and overtake everything because I had to go out and handle business. The fight became my refuge from all the other things that were going on from the chaos. It became my shelter in the storm. That could very well be the case here. But if it's not, and and Tim Elliott is, is a little bit wavered or a lot bit wavered, this could be a dangerous fight. Victor Altamirano, he didn't look great last time out against Vinicius Sil Salvador, excuse me, but he looked good in his fight before that against Daniel Lacerda, getting a first-round stoppage win. He's an experienced guy. He's a former LFA champ. He's got a little bit of confidence now on a two-fight winning streak. Should be three, really. Dropped a split decision in his debut, but like has done well thus far in the UFC. And if if Tim Elliott isn't locked in, this can get this can get bad. This can go sideways in a hurry. I hope he is. I hope he is dealing with all of this stuff as best as humanly possible. I don't wish any of any of the struggles he is going through on anyone. And I hope that this fight and this opportunity really has been an opportunity to gain some solace and gain some structure to things and focus to things during what I'm sure is a, a tremendously difficult time. Move to the flyweight division on the other side of the gender divide. Karine Silva against Ketlin Souza. And my question is what might the future hold for Karine Sil Silva? So the 29-year-old Contender Series grad is 15-4 and four overall. She's 1-0 in the UFC. Dominant win, first-round submission finish over Pollyanna Botelho last time out. She's won six straight overall. She looks to me physically, just from a physical standpoint, like somebody I got to pay attention to. Big, strong, powerful woman in this division. Not that there aren't others in this division that profile this way. Manon Firo. Very big, very strong, very powerful. Valentina Shevchenko in her own regard. Andrea Lee is a strong, powerful. Macy Barber is showing some strength and athleticism. But Karine Silva, as, as a relative newcomer to the UFC, has my eye. And I want to see in this fight, in her sophomore fight, it's been almost a year since her debut, what kind of growth have we seen? What kind of development is there? She was supposed to fight Priscilla Cachuera earlier this year. To the surprise of no one, Cachuera struggled with some weight issues. The fight was scrapped. And here we get Ketlin Souza coming in. LFA champ. Really, really should be a pretty instructive bout in my estimation. This is going to be one of those fights where coming away, it's either really clear that Karine Silva is someone to pay attention to or a little more clear that maybe she's got some ground she needs to make up 
and a bunch of things she needs to learn before she gets there. I think it's going to be the former. That's how I lean off that first fight, off her contender series win, off some of the fights that she's had outside of UFC sanctioned events. But we'll see on Saturday. This is an, this is an interesting fight. This is a really good all-Brazilian matchup. I like this one. And I want to see what Karina Silva brings to the table. Main card opener is in the welterweight division of Bubakar Nurmagomedov against Elizu Dos Santos. My question here is for the people. Can we acknowledge Dos Santos's success? He's one of those guys to me that just, just flies under the radar and people sort of don't necessarily understand what he's done, who he's beaten, the skill he possesses. So Dos Santos is nine and three in the UFC. He won seven straight at one point. His losses inside the octagon are to Nicholas Dalby, Li Jingliang, and Muslim Salikov. So a two-time Cage Warriors welterweight champion and two ranked guys. So like, not bad. He crushed Benoit Saint-Denis last time out. He's been off since then. That was October 2021, my birthday actually in Abu Dhabi, UFC 267. There's some other good wins in there. He beat Lyman Good. He beat Max Griffin. He handed Sean Strickland his first professional loss. Spinning back kick. Just, no, sorry. Spinning heel kick. Kicked him in the head, knocked him out in Brazil. Great performance. If he gets a victory on Saturday, he moves to 10-3 and three in the UFC. And I'm here to tell you that going 10-3 and three in the UFC is really difficult. Winning 10 out of 13 fights is really hard. And I think there are points and there are times where we as fans... We as analysts, we as observers of this sport fail to discuss that and fail to appreciate that and speak about it in the terms that it requires. He's gone nine and three in 12 fights. He's won 75% of his UFC fights so far. I don't care who you're facing. That's difficult. There haven't been any banana peels. There haven't been any couldn't get up for this one and got beat by some guy that he shouldn't get beat by. He's lost to good competition. He's just failed to crack the top 15 on a permanent basis. I think he snuck in at one point, but then lost to Li Jing Liang and fell back out to lose the seven fight winning streak and all of those things. But like dude has done well. He's done really well to have put together a career of this nature, started off with a loss, rattled off a bunch of wins Really good fighter overall. Not a champion, not a contender necessarily. But like we need to start appreciating folks that go nine and three in the octagon. Because there's for for all the criticism, fair, just, valid criticism of the people that go two and two or oh and three or whatever the case may be. Let's then sing the praises of the people that go nine and three, fighting very good competition in one of the best divisions in the UFC. That's that's the trade-off I would like. That's the counterbalance to the criticism that I would like. Because if we're going to, to rip the people that, that can't hang and the folks that aren't UFC caliber, let's make sure to raise up and elevate and give flowers to the people that have proven that they are. Because winning seven straight in the UFC... Not something everybody does. I don't care who you're fighting. We need to celebrate that stuff a little more.
We move to the prelims. Jamie Malarkey takes on Muhammad Naimov, who steps in on short notice for Gura, Guram Kutatiladze. My question is whether Malarkey is starting to put together a little run. So he lost his first two fights in the UFC. Debut was against Brad Riddell. No shame in that one. Second fight was against Ferez Zayem, who I think is an intriguing and difficult guy to deal with. Lots of height, lots of reach and length for the division. Since then, the 28-year-old has gone four and one. He's won two straight. He won two, lost to Jalen Turner, and has won two more since. He has looked way more settled over these last couple fights, way more comfortable in his skin, kind of understanding who he is as a fighter and playing to those strengths. I actually really liked his performance last time out against Francisco Prado, who was a short notice replacement again. It was in Australia. It was the fight card in Perth, UFC 284. And he didn't try to overextend. He didn't go out there and try to do too much and put on any kind of particular show to really show out at home or anything like that. He just went out there and stuck to the basics, stuck to the things that he does well, got the victory, beat up the 20 year old and kept it moving. And now he's back here against Naimov, who is solid. He, he competed on the contender series a few years back, losing to Colin Anglin. He's a guy that previously trained with the elevation fight team crew not sure if he's still there. I believe he is. I think he's still working with a bunch of those guys, but don't don't quote me on it. And this is a little bit of a trap fight, right? This is a little bit of one of those ones where I just talked about Dos Santos hasn't had a banana peel fight. This could be one, right? Because you're getting up for Guram Kutsatiladze, who has two appearances in the UFC, both split decisions, Matoish Gamrot and Demirish Mugulov. Great fighters. This is a on the cusp of the top 15 kind of opponent for you. And now he withdraws and you get Namov, who's making his debut on short notice. This is where we find out if Jamie Malarkey really is starting to put it together and somebody that's capable of going on a little bit of a run. It's not that he goes out here. I'm not looking for him to go out here and, and really show out again in some kind of flashy outside of himself way but just go out here and handle business and let's see lightweight's always tough stringing together three wins and five and six again it's it's important we acknowledge the difficulty of these things especially as you continue to matriculate up the rankings and up the the scale of competition so if you can go out here and post another victory against Namov, he will get another step up it won't be a rebook with Kutetaladze, who just seems to be unable to make it to the cage very often at all, which is a shame. But let's just see. He's he's looked okay these last few fights. He's looked good. He's intriguing to me. So we want to see a little more on Saturday. Move to the bantamweight division, John Castaneda, against Muin Gafarov, replacing Matoish Mendonch. My question here is what's reasonable to expect from Gafarov? So, as I just said, he replaces Mateus Mendonce in a solid fight against John Castaneda. He's 18 and four overall. He lost to Chad and Helliger on Dana White's contender series a couple seasons back, split decision. He's still only 27. That's the part that I needed to, to remember as I was prepping this, as I was doing my research and putting this together. 
He's won two straight since that fight in the apex to Ann Helliger. He's shown flashes of really great potential and upside along the way. He had a bunch of fights in one championship, which is where he sort of started making a name for himself. He lost to a couple established guys, John Lineker being the one that really jumps off the page, but had a couple good wins as well. There's a win over Leandro Issa in there that really was the first time I started to go, okay, who's this dude? And so now he gets the opportunity to come in. It's short notice. It's sort of, to me, these are always interesting because short notice, you're either going to, and it totally depends on who you are and how you approach these things and anxieties and all of that stuff. But you can either come in here and be really worried about it because, oh my God, it's the UFC and it's my debut and I need to. Or you can come in just relaxed because there's no expectation on you. There's no pressure on you. You've got the built-in, not excuse, but explanation if things go not your way and go really poorly or just poorly in general. Well, I took it on short notice and this guy's, this guy's tough. He's, he's here, right? He's been here for a little bit. There's a reason he's here. And I'm really curious to see if Gafarov can come in and be someone that just comes out and has a good performance against the guy in Castaneda who has had some success, looked very good against Miles Johns, but then faded and couldn't deal with the pressure of Daniel Santos last time out. This is an interesting fight. Bantamweight is always great. Every Bantamweight fight I get up for, and this is another one of them. Next up, we move to the heavyweight division, Andre Arlovsky versus Dontale Mays. My question is, can Arlovsky make it to UFC 300? So he's never talked about this. This has never been a thing like this. He's not in with Jim Miller on the like, yeah, let's get to UFC 300 because he didn't fight at 100 or 200. But he made his debut in the UFC at UFC 28 on November 17th, 2000. He's He's been around the UFC and in the UFC and fighting for damn near 25 years. And he's still competitive, not as a contender, not as a title threat, but he's still earning wins. He's still going out. He's revamped his style a couple of times over. He's doing sort of what I would call the Ric Flair stuff now, where he's got a bunch of the little sneaks and a bunch of the little veteran tricks and, and savvy bits where he's always kind of lobbying the, the official for headbutts and eye pokes and complaining a little bit to buy himself some time. And, you know, I talked, I, I talked to Jake Collier after their fight and we talked about, there were a bunch of times that they clashed heads and every time they would, and it was just like the usual changing levels and heads meet and both coming forward and heads meet. Andre would look at the referee and complain to make it Jake's fault. And Jake was the one that got admo- admonished. And those are things to me that are, look, they're sneaky. They're, they're, they're tricky. They fall under the, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying a little bit, but I like it. It's, it's cool to me to still see Andre Arlovsky competing here, similar to Jim Miller, right? Guys that just said, I still enjoy this. I want to keep going. So I'm going to reset my expectations. I'm going to continue to, to hone my craft, to change my approach and get out there and see what I can do. Dontales Mayes presents some danger. He is a gigantic human with big power in his hands, 
this is very much a winnable fight for Andre Orlovsky. And as much as I want to see Jim Miller get to UFC 300 for the 100, 200, 300 thing, Andre Orlovsky getting there after debuting at UFC 28 would be pretty cool too. Next up, Elise Reed and Jin Yu Frey. My question is just which of these women rebound? Honestly, this is just a fight and we're just going to find out who wants this more. And I say this probably every week on this program, if not every other week. Sometimes it's okay for fights just to be fights. They don't always have to be title ramifications and divisional significance and winning streaks. Sometimes it's just two professional fighters stepping into the octagon looking to get a victory. Now, they each need it here. Elise Reed has alternated losses and wins since coming into the UFC. She's 2-3 and three overall, coming off a loss to Loma Lukbunmi. Frey is on a two-fight slide. Neither is necessarily fighting for their job. I don't know these things. I'm not in control of these things, and I'll never say anymore after being a guy like many others that wrote kind of the who's on the chopping block pieces way back in the day that anybody should be fighting for their place on the roster. Someone else's job, not mine. But they both need a win. Reed is someone that is very brash, has a whole lot of confidence, talks a whole lot of smack, is very boisterous in her self-belief, kind of falters at times, doesn't always back it up with her performance. Jin Frey is extremely quiet, doesn't pull the trigger sometimes. You will hear a great deal of Safe Saud, the general, in her corner this weekend, shouting at her to let go of her hands and to be offensive. This fight is going to be very telling in terms of letting us know where each of these women stand and sort of what the future may hold. Not from a about-to-make-a-run standpoint, but just from a where they're at in their career and what the next couple steps are going to be. It should be a competitive fight. And this early in the card, I'm down for just a good competitive fight. Three left. First of those is in the bantamweight division, Daniel Santos and Johnny Munoz Jr. My question is, is Daniel Santos someone we need to pay attention to going forward? Bantamweight is never at a shortage. There's no shortfalls in bantamweight. We got lots of people that are out here at 135 doing things that deserve to be recognized and, and on the radar. Sean Sheehan and I did the State of the UFC that dropped earlier this week on the Severe MMA Patreon. Go check that out, severemma.com forward slash pints, best URL in the business. And we talked about this division, how there's guys that are 4-0 in the UFC, 3-0 in the UFC, 2-0 in the UFC, 1-0 in the UFC, that all present promise and upside and, and talent. And I want to see if Daniel Santos fits into that group somewhere. 28 years old, 10-2 and two overall, 1-1 one one in the UFC, from the shoot-to-box Diego Lima camp, which is Charles Oliveira, Alan Nascimento, those dudes. So he lost to, to Julio Arce in his debut, which is a tough assignment. Listen, people may know or not know Julio Arce. Tough dude. Regional vet, East Coast dude. Great fundamentals, good length for the division. Tough assignment. Came out last time and took out John Castaneda which makes it a little weird that he's fighting behind Castaneda here, but it's just one of those things and I'm not going to get into it because 
where they land on the prelim pecking order doesn't change the skill or talent or level of the fights. But he looked really good in that fight. Flying knee, some good body work. It was a really good performance. This is a gym that is is putting stuff together. Like they have some good fighters, obviously, as I said. Charles Oliveira, former champ, fighting next weekend here in Vancouver. So could Wiley Cap be somebody that that goes on a little run here that that starts creeping, that starts making a little headway? I'm always on the lookout for these guys because Bantamweight is just that good. And sometimes these really good fighters are are sort of tucked behind people that we're not necessarily paying attention to or they're they're matched up in a fight like this against Johnny Munoz Jr., who has been hit or miss in the UFC, two and two to this point. And so not a fight that a lot of people are necessarily coming into the weekend checking for on a card that not a lot of people are heading into the weekend checking for. But he's worth keeping an eye on just to see. We stick around the bantamweight division, Damone Blackshear and Lewin Lacerda. My question is, will Blackshear secure his first UFC win? Damone Blackshear may be the best 0-1-1 fighter in the UFC right now. Dude showed up on short notice, lost his debut, or sorry, battled Yusuf Zalal to a draw in his debut, and then lost last time out to Farid Basharat, who I have high expectations for who I think highly of, who is undefeated to this point, is part of that Albazi and the Basharat brothers, Troika, that trains in Vegas with Dewey Cooper, very good fighters. He was 12-4 and four before reaching the UFC. And his last three losses prior to the first one of his career were Danny Sabatello, who just fought for gold in Bellator, Pat Sabatini, who now fights at featherweight here in the UFC and is fighting in a couple of weeks' time, and Chris Matinho, who had a cup of coffee in the UFC and has done well on the regional circuit and is a, you know, tough, durable kid. Those are all, those are all reasonable fights. And so he's, he gets another tough assignment here in Lacerda, who's a Nova Uniao guy, lost to Cody Stamen in January in his debut in Brazil. Blackshear is a very good grappler. And it just sort of shows you, like, he's one of those guys that I look at and I go, if you ever wondered how hard it is to succeed in the UFC, like for all of the talk we have about the level of talent and what it means to be UFC caliber declining, here's a very good fighter, like a very good fighter. And people are going to say, really, he's very good. What do you, so maybe I should change very good to here's a good fighter who just hasn't been able to get it done because he's been matched up with, slightly better fighters. It's hard to win in the UFC. And I want to see if Damone Blackshear can get there because he's good. Bantamweight's just an absolute torture chamber. And so I want to see if he can get one because I think highly of him. I think he is significantly better than 0-1-1 in the UFC. So I will be rooting for him this weekend. Saturday's opener in the light heavyweight division, Felipe Linz and Max Gresham. My question is, is Linz emerging as a dark horse in the light heavyweight division? So he's 2-0 since moving down. Looks far more suited physically, stature-wise, build-wise. 
way better at 205 than he did at heavyweight, where he sort of went up after a run in Bellator, fought in PFL, did well there, came to the UFC, stayed at heavyweight, lost two fights in five weeks or six weeks to Andre Arlovsky and Tanner Boser. A couple years off, comes back healthy, 205, looks good. Beats Marcin, Marcin Prachnio in his 205 debut in the UFC. And then last time out, gets a 49-second knockout win over Ovin St. Preux. And before anybody listening is like, hey, man, you're overrating. I'm not saying beating Ovin St. Preux is some kind of, hey, indication that this guy is, is a contender here in the year of our Lord 2023. But OSP is still a, a benchmark. It's still a guy that you look at and go, okay, I know what it means to beat OSP. It doesn't mean what it did five years ago, but it still holds some value. It still sets a baseline. And so we go into this weekend. He's on a two-fight winning streak. He gets another veteran. He gets another tough, durable out. A guy that's fought at heavyweight, a guy that's fought at light heavyweight, has a ton of experience. And it's just another chance to see. This is what I talk about every week, especially on this program. Just give me the tests. Give me the experiments. Let me see. Let me get the results and test these hypotheses. I could be coming on here on Sunday for the takeaways and being like, the answer to my question about Felipe Linz is a resounding no. That might be what happens. But I want to sit down and find out on Saturday. And I'm curious enough and interested enough in this fight and every fight to think about these things in advance so that somebody doesn't sneak up on me so that somebody doesn't air quote come out of nowhere because nobody comes out of nowhere. They come out of their previous fights. That's it for the program. Before I get you out of here, as always, if you're watching on the YouTube show, you can see the QR code up in the corner, give it a scan. It'll bring you to the keyboard Kimura Substack, where you can subscribe for free for five bucks a month or for 50 bucks for the year. Any way you sign up, any way you subscribe, everything comes straight to your inbox. And I appreciate you all. Other side, One Bone, you see it on the hat, it's on the person. One Bone Brand is the IG, is the, is the Twitter as well. OneBoneBrand.com is the website. New one launched a couple weeks ago. Drop 10 came out a couple weeks ago. Go check it out. I, I Listen, polos are dropping this week. They look fresh. I can't wait. I'm going to try to get myself some before Vancouver so I can rock them there. The boys do it up. They do it right. And your boy is trying to hook you up. So if you go and you purchase anything at One Bone, use the promo code ESK20 at checkout to get 20% off. My initials, ESK, the number 20, that will get you 20% off. Join the family. Come and join the community. It's a growing community. It's only going to get bigger from here. This gear is the best. I want you to experience it, to enjoy it, and to come hang with us. As I said earlier in the show, you see the Twitter handle, the IG handle, at Spencer Kite, doing a ton of work on socials going forward, putting out reels, putting out stories, putting out links to all of the content. So go check that out if you haven't already. Follow me there. Most importantly, know that you're loved. Know that you're valued. Know that you're appreciated. It means the world to me that you folks consume my content, 
interact with me, interact with my content, want to hear this stuff. Tell a friend, bring them here. If they want to know more about these athletes, they want to know more about these fight cards, Keyboard Kimura, ESK, we got you covered. We'll talk to you tomorrow with 10 things. Friday, the double dip, punch drunk predictions in the betting show. Then we get back to face punching on Saturday. See you soon.